Hey guys, Montel here, and welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel, where we talk about everything hemp and cannabis related, trying to see if we make some decisions for you or help you make some decisions for your family when you go and try to make some choices going into dispensaries and places like that to help navigate this daunting space called cannabis right now. And you know, as we look at all the laws around the country start to mature, several states around the country are starting to implement and at least process applications for what are being called public consumption forums and every state has a different name for them you know massachusetts is going to uh, uh start opening up the doors and allowing for public consumption what that exactly means is a little tough because some of the regulations are really different in every single state i hear that in jersey is going to start doing it they're going to start doing it in uh, california they've already been doing it in nevada and there may be an expansion of it in nevada but as we look at these spaces and we look at them start to open you know, you start to wonder, well, what are they going to look like? I remember visiting, you know, Amsterdam, and I used to be a big supporter of the Amsterdam open uh, public consumption spaces in Amsterdam. I used to go travel there. I'm telling you, for multiple years, I was going there maybe two or three times a year because I was really one of the only places in the world where you could literally sit down in a cafe-type setting, no alcohol being served, coffee, soft drinks being served, some very, very light, edibles, not infused edibles being served. And when I'm talking about that, I'm talking about like cookies or potato chips and things like that. But literally, you could literally sit in a place in Amsterdam outside and, you know, sit back and smoke a, a blunt or a joint or a bowl, whatever you wanted to do, and um, not feel ostracized as if you might feel that way here in the United States, where if you walk in a park now, you know, I, I've, I've uh, noticed sometimes when I go out in the evening, I walk a little puppy and, um, you know, wafting in the air is the fine smell of cannabis. And I'm I'm OK with it, but I also uh, can take another 30 steps past it and hear people behind me complaining. Now, somebody's smoking weed uh, as if it really is going to bother them. But, you know, somebody's got an attitude about it. But at least. What's about to happen, and I think as we start to see the evolution of cannabis laws bear their fruit over the next couple of years, we're going to see more and more states opening up opportunities for people to consume publicly and socially with others. And my guest today is an award-winning architect and designer. Her diverse body of work spans both residential and commercial projects throughout the United States. She's been recognized by the Urban Land Institute for Sustainable Development and has been a, awarded a gold and silver LEED certifications for her work. In 2019, she was named one of the top 25 leading women entrepreneurs in New Jersey, and now she has brought her talent to bear to the cannabis industry. Rachel Grakowski, Thank you so much for being a member of Let's Be Blunt. Did I say your last name right? I mean, I didn't. Grahowski. Right? You know what? It, my last name is a tricky one. It's You were like as spot on as anyone ever has been. Well, I thank you so much, Rachel. Well, thanks for, for being part of this, uh, part of our, our discussion today. And um, tell me what's going on. First off, let's, let's, let's start this really about yourself. Tell me a little bit about you, about your background, where you grew up, where you went to college. Where, where are you from? Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me to be part of this conversation. It's an honor to be on your show and, and uh, in the conversation with you. Um, I am originally from, I have like a long, long story, but I'm originally from Wisconsin, but I grew up in Colorado 
and uh, went back to Wisconsin for, for college at University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, where the School of Architecture is. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of my values and ethics kind of come from those two parts of the country where, you know, there's a lot of indigenous individuals as well as, uh, you know, connection to nature, et cetera. And that's really informed my architecture, but also how I feel about cannabis. And I think you know, to give people a little schooling about Wisconsin, because, you know, I didn't know this until I started doing some work at the University of Wisconsin in Madison years ago. But, you know, cannabis has always been kind of under the surface in Wisconsin. And most of the time people were left alone who were using cannabis, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So I lived there. Uh, until I was like eight or nine years old. And although, you know, it was definitely, my parents were definitely uh, what would be considered the hippies, they, you know, it was really common for the adults to be consuming cannabis openly in front of everyone, uh, whether it was outside, inside, and nobody really thought anything about it. It was no different than smoking a cigarette which was very common at that time. And we're talking about, this is way before there were open discussions about the fact that cannabis laws are being changed. We're talking, let's go back 10, 15 years ago, right? In, in right, no, absolutely. Right. Okay, so you kind of grew up around cannabis. You knew a little bit about it, right? Absolutely. In, in, our, in our family, it was often a conversation of, you know, if you have a choice to, as a teenager, if you have a choice to con drink alcohol or consume cannabis, my parents really preferred that we would go the route of cannabis. You know, obviously teenagers are ex experimenting. Interestingly, it wasn't didn't really resonate with me at the time. Nonetheless, like I I tried it and I wasn't sure that I really liked it. It's very different today what what the product is and what the product was then. Uh, by what age were you back then? I mean, I would I would say I was a high schooler, so maybe 17, 16. Gotcha. Gotcha. And when you say it was very different, it was very interesting. I, I'm I'm quite a bit older than you. Uh, so when we go back, I look back in time. You said the products were a lot different back then. I think there was difference in the delivery systems and difference in the variety of deliveries that you could get. But I will tell you, I can remember back, I you know, I'm I'm a a a very early boomer to the cannabis space. And um I can remember back in the early 70s. Um you know, and I still believe this till today, though I know there are some products in the marketplace that might give me the big bang and the big wow. I will tell you, I honestly don't remember experiencing a euphoria as high as the ones that I got back in the 70s as I get today. I don't even care what the product is. Now, some of the edibles, yeah, it's a different experience without a doubt. However, I will tell you that I can remember in 71, 72, I remember literally uh, uh, smoking a joint way back then where, boom, I mean, I, I'm, <laughs> I, I remember lights out there for a while. I can remember there were times I played in a band back then and, um, you know, and that's what introduced me to this from my bandmates. And uh, the first experience that I had with it, I remember we had a band practice at my own house in my basement and my parents were upstairs and, you know, my, uh, bandmates who were way older than me, you know, they said, we're going to take a break. We'll be back in five or 10 minutes. I was like, where are you guys going? We're going to go out to the van. I said, what are you going to do? You don't want no part of that. And I was like, yeah, dude, what are you going to do? So I went out to the van with these guys and I remember coming back in and literally, 
you know, trying to sing that, that I was a singer in the band back then and trying to sing that song. I was like, wait, stop. I had to stop. I had to sit down. I literally had to call practice off. I was out for about two and a half hours, like in my basement, my parents were trying to figure out what I was doing. I was like, I'm just trying to clean up, you know? And, um, I, I kind of lost it. So, you know, I, I think some of what we're experiencing now in cannabis, though, in some ways, yeah, the cannabis appears to be much more powerful. I'm not necessarily sure that the impact that I got from it back then was much more powerful. I, it's just weird, strange. But anyway, so your first relationships, you you uh, said you weren't sure whether you liked it or not, right? Well, and I, it's interesting as you tell your story, it kind of helps me reflect a little bit because it's almost the inverse, like, it's not that it wasn't powerful and that it is powerful now when I speak about it. It's that number one, I didn't have that much knowledge about it, right? Like now you can, you can choose to be educated about it because it's easier to find. And I think, you know, and so there's information about different ways which you would use it. Whereas then it was like, here's a bag of something and I'm going to, you know, put it into a pipe or, it's going to get rolled in and 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 you didn't necessarily know how many how much of it you should have it kind of is an experimental thing i think probably more so than the quality because i'm sure you're right that back then there was a purity that uh existed that you know i wasn't skilled enough to really know right right now so your your uses of it this was more casual i mean were you a a, a over time from high school till where did you go to college? So I went to school at, well, I started at University of Colorado and then I moved to University of uh, Wisconsin, Milwaukee. And I was there uh, for last two years of undergrad and graduate school. So, you know, that was kind of, it's funny because I had like a young experience and then kind of things went on hold. I was focused on school and then got kind of reintroduced to it again later maybe in grad school, towards the end of grad school. Uh-huh. And now were you a, a casual user that even while in college? I certainly had, I do recall my college boyfriend was uh, uh, quite a connoisseur. And so casual, yes, I would say. But but not, not, I wouldn't say frequent casual at that point in time. So you're saying that your boyfriend at the time was a connoisseur, so he probably was able to get a hold of some fairly decent stuff. But but again, you were just, a da I'm not saying a dabber, but a dabbling in cannabis, right? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And did you go to college for architecture? What did you go to college for? My undergrad is art and architectural history. And then I went to grad school for architecture. I, you know, I got interested in architecture because I had been traveling in Europe and it was really like the first time I started to understand or recognize that buildings hold something really sacred, that, you know, it's in, that buildings are, are the backdrop of our lives. I just started thinking about it on this level of sort of spirituality that um, the memories and experience kind of get into the structure. And as generations go on, it lives, continues to live and contribute to other individuals' experiences. Gotcha. And so, you got out of college, you started down your path. Where were you working first? Yeah, so I uh, 
started out working in Chicago. I've sort of been all over the place. Started out working in Chicago, which is a great place as an architect to start. It's the architectural center of the, of the, the U.S., or at least it was historically. And then I moved to New York really to um, dive into a level of design that wasn't really at the time happening in Chicago. And, you know, I worked for uh, a couple of well-recognized architects and designers, uh, Russell Groves and Adam Tahani, doing both both retail and hospitality projects that kind of gave me like the the essence of what I'm working, what I'm doing now, and what I, how, how I'm able to sort of craft the two and interrelate the two into one project. Gotcha. And so what, what brought you to the cannabis feel? I mean, what, what you started obviously first designing some spaces for dispensaries. Is that what started? Yeah, it was actually quite interesting because I had done a project here in Montclair, uh, Montclair Film Festival building, and uh, it's a, their their education center, and their they had a micro theater, and they have their uh, their headquarters there. And one of the donors really loved the space, and he was you know looking at launching a cannabis brand in the West Coast in Oregon and asked me if I would want to uh, if I would want to design the space. For me, that was really it, it was an honor to be asked. Obviously, the quality of the design was that he liked was I was happy that somebody liked our project. But, you know, for me, it felt like I, I want to say kind of an opportunity that could open many doors and also uh, use a lot of the skills and talents I had. And, and, and then finally, the fact that I personally have always believed in plant medicine and just to be involved in the industry in a way that, you know, I could make a difference. Gotcha. So uh, when you set about thinking about a design of a dispensary, I mean, what were some of the most important aspects that, that came to mind for you in trying to incorporate in this space where people were going to walk in and look for healing? Each dispensary is a little different. So now that we've been doing this for a while, I I'm thinking about, you know, who, first of all, who's your client? Um, is your client looking for wellness? Are they looking for, uh, are they looking for creative products that are going to sort of help them be creative? Are they looking for um, sort of a neighborhood joint? Are they like, wh who is the client that, that the brand is gonna is going wants to attract, and when they're and so I'm starting to think about that because that goes into the type of service that you have. You know, a mom and top a mom and pop kind of space, which is what we kind of started the brand started out as, is really more a one on one experience. It's a bud tender that is maybe gonna either meet you at the door or you're gonna approach them at the counter and you're really gonna spend a bit of time with them. And then you have other brands where it's like, I just wanna get in, get my product and get out. And, and the whole design aesthetic is very, very different for those two types of brands. Um, for me, you know, I could say what resonates with me, but I, I actually think that different dispensaries 
resonate with different people for good reason. Like you should feel at home and like you can whether you're an expert or a novice that you can ask a question or you can share your experience with the product so that you can help the brand. You know, I, I would say I, um, I have a product line in the marketplace in Massachusetts right now. and We're in 40 plus dispensaries. I've probably visited 30 of them and almost all of them are different um, I, I, in their own right. And um, I can't really put a finger on, there were some of them that I will tell you that truthfully I've gone into, I don't want to say it publicly, but I've, I've literally, I have personally found an experience in those facilities better than some of the others, yet all of them seem to have their own unique appeal to their own clientele. And I've been in dispensaries where I've watched 30, 40, 50, 50 people in an hour walk through the door. And, you know, I've spent three hours there. So 150 people over the course of three hours and, you know, out of 150, you know, I will tell you clearly it's, you can divide it into maybe three different groups. There is a group that comes in, they want to walk in the door. They don't have a lot of time. They just walk in, out. They want to get their product, get out the door. They don't want to hear a lot about anything. They just walk in. Some of these people walk in, go to a, you know, some sort of a, a, a electronic um, a kiosk type of a thing, place their order, walk up to the counter and say, give it to me, let me go. Other people walk in, you'll see them walk around because they're really trying to absorb the space and trying to take a look at different things that are being offered. And other people come in because they want to have the experience of talking to someone. And that's where I do pop-ups and they'll come in and they'll speak to me before they go up to the counter and, and spend four or five minutes with a bud tender in the same facility before they leave. And so I have noticed, and, and, you know, um, and I've traveled to dispensaries. I've had product in the marketplace in Oregon and in California. So I have literally traveled and been in dispensaries all over the country, taking a look at what I think the good, the bad, the ugly, but looking at them from a different perspective and saying, well, you know, um, you're absolutely right. Uh, it depends not only what the brands are, and now because in certain markets that the dispensary houses 30 different brands and 100 different different phenotypes. So, you know, behind the counter, they have phenotypes that people are aware of, the big boards that explain all the different products that they have. And, you know, there are customers that come in that seem to be pre-educated. There are customers that come in that have no education whatsoever. There are looky-loos that come in or the can of curious that want to learn. So to be able to put all that together in one aesthetic format, I, I think you have your work cut out for you. It's absolutely true. I mean, I think... And that's why that's why like I want to understand who a brand wants to be, uh, so that we can support all of those that, that vision, right? And and I also, for me, what makes it really interesting is when you can integrate like a, another layer of experience into a space. So whether it's a connection to art or music or or health, wellness or. Uh, you know, nature, like this idea that, or, or a specific culture, when you start to integrate these ideas into it, it's, it, it, it layers on this authentic experience that is part of, you know, part of the service as well. Now you have an exciting project that was just announced recently 
with a very well-known musician who's looking to, I think, I guess, get into the consumption space area, not necessarily the dispensary space area. And in New Jersey, this is going to happen, right? So maybe yes. you want to tell me a little bit about the New Jersey law and what the requirements are, because again, every state's going to be different. And in New Jersey, will your consumption facilities be attached to a dispensary or are they going to be standalone? So right now, the state law says that the dispensary has to be attached, the lounge has to be attached to the dispensary. So you literally have to go through the dispensary to get to the lounge. There's a lot of very difficult regulations that are happening. Um, and and the as an example, like we cannot we cannot serve food, but we can have food delivered. The hours of operation for the lounge is different than the hours of the operation for the dispensary. They're 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 wider, but yet you have to go through the, the dispensary to get to the lounge. So how is that going to work? You know, you're either going to have to rope off a pathway, or obviously you're still going to have to have security that's going to be you know physically physically manned through the dispensary to make sure everybody's like making their way in and out. Obviously all of the product is kept in a vault. So it's not like even the display fixtures will have real cannabis products in them. But those displays will have to be inside the dispensary, not inside the lounge, correct? Correct, but you still have to walk by them to get to the lounge. No, I'm, I'm understanding that, but I mean, I'm, I'm just I'm trying to get this clear in my brain. So I go out on a Saturday evening and I want to go to a consumption lounge, I have to walk through the dispensary. Obviously, that would be an opportunity for me if I wanted to purchase some product, I could purchase a product. I can then carry that into the lounge area. And then when I go into the lounge, because in, in a lot of the states around the country right now, until they have social consumption, you're not you're allowed to go and pick up your product it has to come to you like in, in Boston or in Massachusetts. You have to get the product. It has to be in a stapled shut bag that you have to then take out to your car. You can't open the bag on the property of the uh, dispensary. But now when they open up the consumption lounges, I guess you'd be able to buy the product, walk into the consumption area, and you could open up your product there and actually consume it, right? Well, that's a little bit blurry because really you go to the consumption lounge, you buy it in the consumption lounge, you consume it in the consumption lounge, and then you leave. Some There are couple, there are some guidelines that are up to the operator, like whether they allow you to bring it in and consume is up to the operator at, at this current time for the New Jersey regulation. So you're gonna have a dispensary, a adjacent building, you have to walk through the dispensary go into the adjacent building and you can purchase in that adjacent building? Purchase for consumption in that, in, in our case, it happens to be floors. So you walk through the, the, the retail, you don't necessarily have to buy anything. You go up to the lounge and you can purchase it there and consume it there and then leave. And theoretically you could purchase from the dispensary on your way out again. Or Wow. I don't know if that's actually allowed, but I don't know how you regulate that. That's going to be, that's, that sounds so strange. I mean, it's, these laws are so draconian, it's ridiculous. I mean, the, the idea that 
You know, you, you have to walk through the dispensary. You can't buy the product that you want to use in their own consumption lounge. In the dispensary, you got to walk into the consumption lounge, buy the product there, consume that product there, leave and come back and go to the dispensary to buy something you want to take home. It's so stupid. Well, I think, I think the, if I, I don't know, I think that this is really about being able to, the, the lounge to, to have control over how much they're selling to each individual and that they know how much they've sold and that's a maximum amount. If you bring it in, there's no way to really know how much somebody's consuming. So I think that's, that's the, the rationale behind it. Um, obviously, if you go, if you leave and you stop in the dispensary and you purchase in the dispensary and you consume it immediately upon exiting, you know, you've consumed outside of that boundary, that theoretical boundary anyway. But that's, that's the idea behind it. But what it does is it gives you from, from a lounge perspective, it gives you this opportunity to create a, hosp a hospitality environment where you can potentially rent different types of products that, or tools, I should say, that you could use to consume. And so you can have an experience now, instead of just bringing your product in and you know hanging out with your friends, playing some cards, listening to some music. But now you can come in and say, hey, we wanna use you know, the 7.99, you know, amazing gold-plated, you know, bong or whatever it is, you know, so that, and, and me and my friends are all gonna use that. And uh, there's a price tag associated with like renting that piece of equipment, as well as them buying the product that you'll use with that piece of equipment. And they can, and from a hospitality standpoint, like you can marry the concept of, uh, you know, whether it's the, the, the tool and, and the product into like one experience and, and then vary it. And you could even have like a feature night, you know, we've got this kind of music and this is the, this is the bud that we're using in this kind of tool. And it, it becomes a, a total relationship in relationship with each other. This Sorry, I can remember going to Amsterdam and you go to dispensaries there or you go to, they used to call them coffee houses there. And, you know, you walked in, you purchased your product, you go sit right across from the counter that I purchased the product at and actually consume your product right there. They sold pipes, they sold other things. It wasn't a rental. You, you could buy something if you want. You could buy papers if you wanted for rolling papers to roll your own. And you could sit right there in the facility and go ahead and fire it up. Um, I heard you say, you can have food delivered. That seems, again, so bizarre. And again, food delivered would be non-infused food. Is that correct? Correct. And, and that part, I think, is, is going to have to change. You know, it, it creates a lot of challenges in designing the, the lounge because you yep. know that that can't, it can't continue that way. Like, you're going to have to be able to link food with the lounge at some point. And I, 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 could see, I could see now I, I visited a couple of dispensaries in uh, mass where, you know, <laughs> not on the property of the dispensary, but a half a block away, a food truck can pull up so I can walk off the property of the dispensary, buy some food at the food truck. I can walk back into the dispensary eating that product I choose to while I buy my, my cannabis product, but then I can't 
consume that cannabis product on that same property. So I got to get my car and go down the block or go home, which seems so stupid because that means that you literally are, are even though the law says that you can't consume while you're driving, you're really kind of pushing the purchaser to consume while they're driving. You know what I mean? Right. So some of these laws yeah. have to be, I mean, I could, could, could the food truck idea work in New Jersey too? For sure. For sure. I mean, you know, this, this location is like right, right in the middle of Newark. So the food truck idea feels like it's very likely. And you could also like create events around that, right? Like whatever type of food it is could be relative to the music that's playing or the event that you're style of party or whatever that you're going to have that night. So on the one hand, if you, if you look at the barriers as ways to, uh, create some sort of creative solution, then, you know, it, it can actually result in something more interesting, maybe, maybe not more interesting, but something interesting. But I do think a lot of the regulations are going to evolve over time. And right now, because it's such a new idea, it's like, it's everybody's handcuffed. It's kind of ridiculous, but, but at the same time, like anything else, like get it open and then start pushing the envelope is the way that that many of us are looking at it. Well, can you can you talk about who you've partnered up with when it comes to musician that you're this project that you're working on? Can you talk about it? Yeah. Uh, so the brand is Hashtoria and Ray Kwan from Wu-Tang Clan is one of the there's a handful of investors and founders and uh, he's one of them. And so the idea is that there's going to be a lot of live events. There'll be music. There'll be we're also just down the street from the Prudential Center. So, you know, pre-show, post-show events. Um, and uh, there's a handful of others whose names eventually will come out, but Ray's the one who's right now is, you know, vote is we're able to share. And it's exciting because, you know, he really cares about the brand. He cares about the experience. It's really about creating opportunities um, for people to experience the plant and and for him he talks about how it's it's been part of his culture as a musician as a creative individual so i mean but but it sounds to me like you're you're really as a visionary to design the space you're literally designing a almost like a um um i don't want to put it um I'm having a hard time trying to figure out. It's kind of a space that would be a space used for parties. So you'll design that space first. Then you have to add the retail component into that to allow for the sale of the product. And then you've got a really challenging uh, mission. (laughs) Well, the, the, as an example, in this specific location, the vault is one vault. All the product is in the same vault. For the dispensary and the consumer consumption lounge. For the dispensary and for the consumption lounge. And so and so, you know, although there's a crossover, it is two different experiences too. Like the way this specific location is set up, you will you will have a branded experience in the retail. And it's not that it's completely disrelated, but uh you know, I would, I, would, I would think that when you say you keep using the term branded experience, but most dispensaries that I go to carry 60, 70 different brands. 
So yeah, I guess what I mean is 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 brand like Hashtoria. So you know whether this is the only location or others. So the brand is the Hashtoria. That's the building. That's the name of the dispensary. But within that, you will find multiple different branded products. Hundred percent. And so I could go in and get you know I don't know uh, uh, different phenotypes of of pre rolls or. Would you automatically be selling pre-rolls and dabs? And would you then be able to rent a dab unit if you wanted to? You could um, not have to sit there. I envision a place where, you know, if I was going to go to a consumption lounge um, that was specific for cannabis consumption, I don't necessarily think I want to be sitting there rolling. I mean, especially since pre-rolls are already out there and um, product is already out there, already prepared in delivery systems, systems that would make it easier for me to consume. If I said I've, I've been to a couple of consumption lounges in Berkeley and in uh, San Francisco area where, you know, I held I've held a couple of events there where, you know, as a pop ups where, you know, I literally uh, went in and showed people how to dab my product. And so they had dab units available on a counter so people could come over and they would pre purchase their participation at the door and then they could come in and do whatever they wanted. Um, and they could also go through the dispensary, purchase their product, walk next door, sit down, and again, the rigs and things would be provided to them so they could consume. Is that the kind of idea that you'd like to achieve? Uh, more or less. I mean, I think each, again, because each state, as you pointed out earlier, each state's regulations are a little bit different. And, and so you know, what's allowed in New Jersey is maybe slightly different than what's what's allowed in, in California or in the San Francisco, the Bay Area right now. Um, but it's effectively what, what the experience will be. There, with, with Hashtoria, uh, there will not be, at least as far as I know right now, there's not going to be any sort of door uh, fee entry fee it's going to be inside although that could change i mean again as fast as we talk about it is as fast as the regulations uh, are being edited and changed and i think you know no there are no lounges open yet you know we will be probably one of the first if not the first to open and uh you know i think there's maybe two others in new jersey that are keeping pace with with where we're at so, you know, it's a little hard to say exactly what, what it's going to look like, but the idea is that, you know, you, you will come in, you'll have the experience, you could spend hours there, you could spend minutes there, you could spend, you know, a whole day there if you wanted, you can only consume so much, right? So there'll be different events. It's a very hospitality oriented space. It is a lounge, it is, it is you know, I often think of it as like a blend of an event space and uh, like what we understand is a bar, but just that people are consuming uh, cannabis instead of alcohol. And there won't be a, they won't allow any alcohol consumption. You can't even sell um, drinks there. Drinks meaning anything. You can't sell. Can you sell water? Uh, <laughs> it is not explicit. It does not explicitly say you cannot sell water. But it, right now, you can't sell. You cannot sell any drinks it just says you can't sell any beverages so i'm imagining you can you can sell water but it's not clear it's not clear they're gonna have to 
You're going to what? We're set up the way it's set up. It's like for the future, right? So for us, you will have the ability in the future to be flexible. And, and that's kind of the name of the game right now is how can you create an experience while also including flexibility for the future? And from an aesthetic standpoint, what are you incorporating? Are you incorporating couches, love seats, chairs, bar, countertop? And you envision people walking in, you know, there's a group of people sitting at a bar area, and then there's this group of people sitting at tables around, or what do you envision? I mean, it's, you know, so that it's flexible with like also, you know, what people are comfortable with. So like lounge, definitely lounge furniture, you know, controllable lighting so that you can change the, the energy or the vibe of the space, you know, depending on whether there's music playing or whether there's, you know, some sort of, maybe there's a sporting event or so again, you have some flexibility there, but there's lounges and tables. You, maybe somebody's coming playing chess, you know, I mean, you don't know. So and they'd be, again, they would bring in bring in their own chess boards, or there would be a chess table already there. What? That's all still under development, but you know, I think the possibility of like having this opportunity to have these things is what is what you know we're looking to do. Is that whether it's a chess table, or there's like a video game, or it's a you know, like I said, performance. It could be it could be. Uh, music or it might be a recording of something it might be a uh uh poetry slam like there you know the, the opportunity is endless it's just a matter of you know testing out see what what resonates with people in the community and then continuing to develop on that level but the the, the loungeness of it is kind of this kind of a little bit of luxury but also a little bit of urban basically an open space that you will then fill up depending on what the event is right Got and aesthetically, right. from a wall standpoint, I mean, I've been to places where they use, you know, urban brick, or other places where they try to use, you know, um, um, re-captured, uh, uh, you know, old barn wood. I mean, have you kind of chosen your palette yet? I mean, the palette is a blend of, like, I consider it kind of like urban luxury. You know, so there's a little bit of softness to it, but there's also a little, there's like the soft and the hard, which I think is kind of life. Got it, got it, got it. Do you plan on trying to venture out and establish this and then venture out in other states that are opening up for public consumption and, and basically putting the, together a, a model that you can cross state lines with? Because I don't see how there would be any interference with that. Um, or um, is it going to be each space one at a time designed to the likes of the person who's the, the owner? For me, I'm focused on creating spaces that are individual for each brand and each potential or each actual client, um, because we we have we have a, quite a few dispensaries right now that we're working on, and they all have their own character and personality. Uh, the lounges are we're just starting to get into that conversation because there aren't that many in New Jersey. There aren't that many licenses. Um, and obviously in a lot of states where there are licenses, they're not open yet. So, you know, we are looking at continuing to develop this idea because, you know, we've worked on hospitality projects, whether they're bars or restaurants where, uh, which is kind of similar, right? Like each one has its own personality. And I think even from marketplace to marketplace, it's important to have a relationship with either the city or the state or the community that you're servicing. 
Got it. And, you know, as a woman in this business, I mean, you're kind of unique. I mean, do you think there are other opportunities for other women to get involved in this too? Absolutely. You know, I, I've been talking to a lot of women who are in the industry and, you know, a lot of my friends have shirts, women in weed, t-shirts, women in weed. It's a whole, uh, uh, conversation that's, that's growing. And I have friends who are in the hemp area, you know, we're working on a, a farm project, a cultivation project. That's a female founder. Um, so there's definitely places for women to get involved. And I think even, you know, from the, the design side and the architecture side as well, you know, there are, uh, there's lots of female designers There aren't as many female architects, but it's certainly a place to get, to get your feet wet. And, you know, I mean, architects are used to regulation. This is just a different type of regulation. Um, but for me, you know, I find that sort of the ethics behind it is, is also really interesting. And there's just something bigger than just designing a project that's for a dispensary or, or, or a lounge that I find compelling and interesting and brings me to the table. And I hope it brings other people to the table too. Wow. Well, good. Well, if people wanted to get a hold of you or find out more information, where would they go? Give out some digits. They, they can find us at rhgdesign.com or R-H-G, at rhg. Say that real slow. G, G is in Grover, rhgdesign.com. Uh, and on Instagram at, at RHG design and, or they can email me at Rachel, R-A-C-H-A-E-L at RHG design.com. Okay. And you know, I mean, just, just in closing, I mean, what are your thoughts about how you see this industry rolling out over the next three to four years? Well, first of all, my first hope is that people start to understand that this is not uh, a scary thing. This is part of nature that is also part of us. Like we are part of nature. And that through that understanding, some of these regulations start to open up and uh, therefore the, 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 the opportunities become wider. You know, we also work with a lot of micro uh, micro dispensaries, and I'm hoping that this interest and effort in social equity is actually real, and it, it actually comes to fruition instead of becoming, uh, I guess what I want to say is backfiring. Like, I feel like it, I feel like there's a lot of possibility for it to backfire, and, and I hope that doesn't happen. I hope that we find a way to get this right. And uh, people who should be creating generational wealth through this industry really can. And for me, as an architect and designer, I think that's, it seems like a different conversation, but it's important to me. And then lastly, I do think as an industry, this is going to become a massive hospitality experience. I think there's going to be more and more uh, wellness retreats and, and conversations around how this, the plant can actually help you heal and help you feel good in order to be productive and sleep well, uh, be creative, all of these different things. And I think, you know, I just think that it's going to grow into this massive hospitality um, industry. Absolutely. I, I, I agree with you, too. I think that you're going to see a mega growth in the next couple of years. So 
congratulations on all the hard work you've been doing, Rachel. And um, keep me posted. Let us know what's going on with your your place in New Jersey, or whether or not you expand to alt, uh, multiple other places in New Jersey. And um, you know, keep us posted. You're always welcome back here to give us an update. Tell us where you're at. Show us some of your designs and those kinds of things. Um, uh, happy to know that you're in this space and, and working at it from the right place. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, you have a great day and I want to make sure all of our viewers remember that they can reach out. Give them one more time the digits. RHGdesign.com. RHGdesign. RHGdesign. Come on now. So everybody who's been watching, if you want to have, get some information about, you know, a, a fourth thinker in this space reach out to rachel and she may be able to help you and keep tuning in to let's be blown with montel for more and more information i want to thank you for being a part of the show today thank you rachel stay well i'll see you on the next let's be blunt with montel thanks for joining me on let's be blunt with montel please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week we'd love to hear your feedback also so please send us your comments <laughs> Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.